All right, good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good? <clears throat> How is everyone this morning? Good? Oh, okay, all right, good. Some of you are already sleeping already on my sermon. What's up with that, man? Hey, it's good to see you. If I'm walking with a little bit of a limp this morning, it's because I thought it was a great idea as a 42-year-old old man, sorry if you're older than me, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aging here. I thought it was a great idea to play my second oldest son, Joshua, at a game of pickleball last night, thinking that I could crush him, destroy him, uh, annihilate him, and he barely beat me, barely beat me. And uh, no, he destroyed me last night. So uh, I, um, I was hobbling home, literally, and I'm feeling the pain on my left leg, and uh, Candace was like, what are you going to do? I said, well, I just hobble around, I guess. I don't know, you know. But um, it actually ties in perfectly because sin cripples us, destroys us, hurts us. We're going to talk about that today. Um, I wasn't trying to tie in the illustration to the sermon, but hey, there it is, right? So take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51. Keep a finger in Psalm 51. Keep a finger in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to talk this morning about what to do when you've sinned. And we've all been there. We've all experienced that. And so uh, I want us to talk about that this morning. Psalm 51, probably one of the most powerful psalms uh, written recorded for us. We know that the, the, the book of Psalms is a, a collection of, of spiritual songs that uh, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, used to worship God. Psalm 51 was penned by King David. And we're going to look at one of his biggest blunders in his life. We know that David um, was um, a young boy. He was a shepherd. And at a very young age, God uh, anointed him to be the king of Israel. Despite his sin and some really dark moments in his life, God makes an astounding statement, a truth statement about David. God calls David a man after his own heart. So sin is never final. Sin is never fatal. When you fall into sin, there is grace, there is forgiveness, but oftentimes there's consequences. And it can, have, uh, it can leave a, a devastating uh, ripple effect in your life. We know that God made a covenant with David, an everlasting covenant. Actually, God made a promise to David that on his throne, that his throne would be established forever. And we know that that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Uh, we know that when you go to the Gospels, Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Uh, that's his lineage. We know that Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And someday he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. We know that for a, a thousand year millennial reign. And then he will usher us into our eternal home, heaven. We will be with him for eternity. We are partakers of that kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom. And we, he's going to rule and reign. And we will rule and reign with him for all eternity. David was a warrior. He was a king. He was a man of war. He was a man of bloodshed. And, and that's why he wasn't able to build the temple. His son Solomon built it instead. But when you look at David's life, David's life was a living civil war. When you looked at his family, it was marked by incest, it was marked by rape, murder, betrayal, adultery, bitterness. David and his family is a beautiful picture, well, an ugly picture at times, of who we are. Our weaknesses, our blunders, our disappointments, our brokenness before God. David was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Psalm 51 are, are the words that David penned uh, soon after his moral failure and his collapse. And without a shadow of a doubt, I think this is one of the lowest points in David's life. Now, in order to understand Psalm 51... You have to understand the context to fully understand why David prays the way he does. He writes Psalm 51 after he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Now this is probably the second most famous sin outside of the sin, the original sin with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, this, is, this makes the, the, the top 10, top 5, I think it's, it's second highest. 
The amazing thing about this story, when you look at all the stories in the Bible, the Bible mentions the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. The Bible never tries to cover sin or, or hide it or cover up people's mistakes. The Bible never tries to gloss over it or you know, make it look pretty somehow. And this, to me, this shows the trustworthiness of the word of God. It shows the credibility of God's word. God wants to um, show us brokenness and, and, and out of the ashes, God can make something beautiful out of someone's life. You know, the word of God tells us the redemptive story in a very simple and, and straight up way. It doesn't hide anything, doesn't gloss over anything. It just, it just gives it to us. It's honest, it's raw, it's truthful. And at this point in David's life, he's the king of the United Empire. He's respected by his peers. He is, he's admired by the people. Second Samuel 11 tells us what led to his moral collapse. And here's what led to his moral collapse. Here's what leads to our collapse. Whether it's a little sin, big sin, he drifted. David drifted in his relationship with God. Anytime someone gets away from God, it's always a slow drift. It's always one decision after the other. It might be a minor decision. It might be so like a subtle shift, a subtle change. It could be, you know what? I'm just gonna stop reading my Bible. It's gonna be, you know what? I'm gonna just stop giving. You know what? I, I'm, I, don't, I just don't have the time to be committed to corporate worship and the worship experience on Sunday morning. It could be a minor shift. You know what? I just don't have time to be committed to a community group. I, I, I just don't have time to share my life and, and, um, and to be connected to other believers so that we're pursuing the life of Christ, so that we're pursuing community and, and we're growing spiritually. Anytime we get away from God, it's always a subtle, slow drift. Probably about a month ago, no names given about a month ago, heard a story, well, Someone shared with me about a young man, a young man that was a young married adult guy in, in my ministry at the church I came from. I, I served as a young adults pastor and it was a really big church and I was over at ages 18 to 39. And that was like my division. Everything 18 to 39, it was me. And I found out recently that this guy that like he loved God, he led men's groups. Like this guy was like looked up to, this guy was like rock solid in his faith. I mean, he had a fire and a passion to serve God. He was serving God. He loved his family. I mean, from, from the outside looking in, you're like, man, this guy has it all together. Come to find out this guy has had an affair. His kids hate him. He's walked away from his family. I mean, it's always a slow, subtle drift. It's subtle. It's gradual. It is never overnight. No one ever says, you know what? Today, I'm just going to not serve God anymore. Today, I'm not going to pursue God. Today, I'm not going to love God anymore. It's just, it's, it's a subtle drift. And the consequences to the subtlety and, and, and the gradual drift is so massive. Now, where did David go wrong? You know, God placed some requirements on the kings. Look at Deuteronomy 17, 16 to 18. It says, only he must not, so he's speaking, to, the context is, um, this is for the kings. Only he, like the king, must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Least his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write. Now notice this. He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. So God is so clear to the kings of Israel. He said, don't multiply horses. Don't multiply riches, right? Don't use the, this, this, this kingly platform to get rich off the people. Don't multiply wives for yourself as a king. Verse 18, David knew the law of God. He knew it and he ignored it. When we know 
what we have to do, what we know what's right and we don't do it, it's sin. When we do something that we know is, 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 is wrong and we do it anyways, it's sin. David knew the law. He had to actually take pen and parchment and he had to write a copy of the law. And as he was writing it, do you think, do you think maybe he, looking back, he's like, wow, the law, God's law was very clear. Don't multiply horses. Don't, don't multiply wives. I remember writing that down. 2 Samuel 5.13 says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. So David is just stacking up the kids and the wives and the problems. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want you to see the failure in David's life. Look at verses 1 to 3. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Now, Joab was his military commander and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, but David, because he's the king, he remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and, and one said, Is not this David, the, king, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So based on this passage, what was David's first mistake? Anybody? He didn't go out to war. He should have went out to war, should have went out to battle, right? He sent his men to go out to battle, but he wasn't man enough to go with them. That's weak leadership, right? Expecting people to do something that you yourself don't do, that's weak leadership. David said, you know what? I'm too good for that. I need a break. I'm going to rest. I'm going to check out. I'm just going to lounge around the palace. I'm gonna enjoy the, the, the goodies of the kingdom, man. I'm just gonna enjoy life, sit back, drink a little martini. Okay, maybe not martini, I don't know. Okay, I'm just trying to give you the visual image here, okay? Um, battles took place in the spring of the year. David was just enjoying the top of the palace, being lazy, rather than fighting with his, with his men. His second mistake was he took a second look. Men, it is not wrong to notice, to, to notice beauty. God's designed us, God's designed all of us to, to notice beauty and we've been wired that way. Lots of things are beautiful, but when you take a second look and you start playing images in your mind, right? You're engaging in sin, it's called lust. David, instead of ignoring, turning away Okay, he noticed her, but you know what? No, I'm a man of God. I'm, nope, I'm going to trust God. Nope, nope. David gave in to the temptation. Now, now the passage says that uh, she was beautiful. Who wrote the Pentateuch? Moses did. Under who? The inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So God is saying Bathsheba was beautiful. Now, if God says you're beautiful, you had to have been a looker, Right? David is not off the hook just because she's beautiful. And I've been to Israel where the, the, the houses are kind of, you know, tiered and, and stair-stepped. And so someone living here can look down and see people down below. Like I, I've stood there and, and, and could see the area of David's kingdom, like his area. And uh, they think that David's tomb is buried somewhere underneath that house. And we don't know, but maybe. And so... David is still responsible for his actions. He, he took a, a look and then he took a second. Not only did let David lust after her, but, but he gave in to the temptation. It says that David sent and inquired about the woman. So someone said, hey, David, um, isn't this a married woman? Like, isn't this the wife of Uriah? And he totally ignored the fact that Bathsheba belonged to another man. When it comes to sex, sexual temptation, when it comes to like you, maybe you're in a, in a sticky situation, what do you do? You run, you flee, you remove yourself from that situation. David didn't do that. Now the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Isn't that good to know? 
in the midst of whatever temptation comes your way, God is faithful, right? And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, right? So God's not going to ambush you, right? Not, God's not going to, you know, take advantage of you. God's not going to intentionally trip you up because God is holy. He's pure. He, he hates evil, loves good. So he's going to, notice what it says, but within temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God's like, listen, when temptation comes into your life, there's always an exit door. There's always a way out, right? But sometimes we want to act like there's not a way out. Oh, just, the temptation was too great. No, you just weren't looking for the exit door because the exit door was provided. Maybe you saw the door. Hey, maybe you saw the door. But sin is so deceitful. Saying he, he wants to seek and destroy your life. He, he wants to rob you of the joy that God has given you. He wants to strip away the joy of your salvation. He wants you to drift, to walk away from your family, walk away from God, walk away from the church. If he can do that one at a time, then, 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 then he's, he's winning. God always provides a way of escape. Now, let me, let, me, let me tell the rest of the story. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. We know the story. Bathsheba comes up pregnant. Oh, man, they're in hot water now. David, what does he do? He, he thinks he's really smart. He, he, he says, oh, I'm going to cover up the sin. I'm going to cover up the sin, and, and, um, and this is how I'm going to do this. I'm going to cover up the sin by sending Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. I'm going to bring him back from war, and I'm going to send him home so that he can sleep with his wife, and uh, then he'll think that the baby is his. Uriah refuses to go home. Everyone else is at war. He's a man of character, and so what does David do? He knows he's in a pickle. He sends a note, actually Uriah's death warrant. He sends a note, places this note in Uriah's hand, and Uriah brings the note to Joab, David's military commander, and in the note, David is instructing Joab to put Uriah into the fiercest part of the battle and then withdraw from, from him so that he would die, and that's exactly what happened. Now, here's what's amazing about the story. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. We know if my memory serves me right, I think David had either 50 or 60 mighty men. David knew Uriah. David had a relationship with Uriah. Uriah was one of his brothers, right? One of his men, this brotherhood. Uriah was, was, um, was a respectable man. He was a man of honor. He was a man of courage. Uh, he was a man of... of um, of, of respect and character. David knew who Bathsheba was married to. Now, back at the king's palace, David marries Bathsheba. The child dies. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You know, sometimes we think that when we sin, no one knows. We think that when we sin, like we're, we're getting away with it. Oh, I got it, man. I'm covering it up, right? No one knows, no one sees, but God does. God sees it all because God's all-knowing and, and, and God has an eye on everything. The landscape of your life is an open book to God. He knows the beginning to the end. He sees it all. And this should give us motivation. Anytime we're tempted to sin, okay, maybe no one else is watching, but God is. And that's the most important most important person who is watching. Soon after David's adulterous affair, Nathan the prophet, a good friend of his, um, confronts him about what happened. And 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David's response is, I have sinned against the Lord. And so what does he do? He writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 pinpoints to this actual event. And I want us to see David's response to his sin. When we fall into sin, our response should be the same as David's. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2 and 7. Have mercy on me, O God. This is what David, David's crying out to God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Here's point number one. Cry out for God's mercy and forgiveness. When you fall into sin, what do you do? You should make make a beeline to God. You should cry out to God for his mercy and his forgiveness. David turned to God. He turned to his only hope. Now, he didn't justify, he didn't rationalize his sin. I mean, David could have said, hey, I'm the king, you know. He didn't take the sins of adultery and murder lightly. You know, some people, they see their sin as no big deal. Sometimes people use grace as a license to sin. Oh, you know what? God will forgive me. That's what Paul, he told the Romans in Romans 6. May it never be. May may we never use the the grace of God as, as as a license to commit sin. People take their sins so lightly. Oh, God will forgive me. They don't realize that they have sinned against the holy sovereign God. David says, have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your steadfast love. Now your translation might say, according to your loving kindness. Now in the Hebrew, it's the word hesed. This is the most common word uh, in in the Old Testament. Literally, the the Hebrew word hesed is the closest word. It's it's the, the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament word grace. So David is appealing to God's hesed, his steadfast love, his loving kindness. Here's what David is saying. Oh, God, deal with me, not according to my brokenness, right? Not because I'm some wicked sinner, because I am, but deal with me according to your covenant love. Deal with me according to your promises. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. David knew in his own heart of hearts that he deserved judgment. He deserved wrath, but he appeals to God's love. He appeals to God's compassion. He appeals to God's forgiveness. And and he goes on, he says, oh God, blot out my transgressions. Literally, it means wipe away. Wipe away my transgressions. Wipe away my sin. David asked for cleansing. He says, wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, hyssop is a branch that the priests would would use to sprinkle blood on a house that had a disease in it so that it would be clean. David is saying, God, I need to be washed. I need to be forgiven. I need to be cleansed. I need a second chance. I need this spiritual renewal, this this spiritual cleansing in my life. You know, I want you to just imagine maybe, maybe maybe a time in your life when you were just filthy, dirty. I'm just talking like dirty, man. You felt dirty. You smell dirty, right? Just whether it was a, you were doing a nasty, you know, job or outside work or I don't know, right? You're stuck somewhere. You couldn't take a shower. I don't know, right? But, but like that longing to be clean, that longing for a shower, right? To get all the dirt, the grime, the, the muck, all the nasty stuff off your body. And then you step out of that shower and you just feel so good. You feel like you're a new person, right? New lease on life. This is what David, David is longing, he's begging. He says, oh God, take your spiritual hyssop branch and apply it to the dirtiness of my life. This is true repentance. This is true conviction. You know, we, when it comes to sin, you know, we, we treat it like, you know, it's like cotton candy, it's no big deal. Sometimes, oh, it's delicious, oh, I want more, you know. Sin is like a rattlesnake. It bites and it has venom. And when the fangs get in you, man, it's gonna, it's gonna be really, really bad. David realized the dirtiness of his heart. He realized that he he needed spiritual cleansing. He needed God to act on his behalf. That's why David was appealing to the hesed of God. When when we're broken, when we fall into sin, we appeal to God's hesed. We appeal to his grace. Oh God, 
Give me that which I don't deserve. We appeal to God's mercy. Oh God, please withhold that which should come my way. Your wrath, your judgment should come my way. But oh God, please be merciful, be kind, be gracious. David was, was asking God to make him clean. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Did you, did you notice what, what God says? The prophet Isaiah, is, is rec- he's recording the words of God. God says, I will blot out, I will wash away, remove spiritual eraser your sins for your sake. No, he said for my sake because I'm the God who forgives. I'm the God who gives second chances. It's for my sake, it's for my name, it's for the fame of my glory. And then he says, I will not remember your sins. Not remember your sins. I thought God was omniscient. I thought God was all knowing. God chooses, check this out. He chooses in grace, in mercy, according to his hesed. He says, I am gonna choose to remember no more. That's a beautiful thing. God gives us this beautiful truth, this beautiful promise. When you're dirty, when you fall into sin, when when you've made a mess of your life and you come back to him, why why do we hold on to the baggage? Why do we hold on to to the guilt and the shame? Oh, the shame is so heavy. It's so weighty, it weighs us down. It strips us of the victory that we have in Christ. It, 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 it blurs our identity of who we are in Jesus. But we hold on to these things, we hold on to guilt and shame and, and we hold on to the past and we, we hold on to years that we've wasted and we, we just hold on and we hold on. And God says, if I choose to remember no more, so should you. I choose to remember your sins No more. David turned to the mercy and love of God. And we need to turn to the love and the mercy of Jesus. When we fall into sin, we come back to Jesus. We run to Jesus. And and he gives us a fresh start. Ernest Hemingway in his short story, The the Capital of the World, he tells a story about a father and his teenage son who lived in Spain. And their relationship became strained and eventually it was shattered And the son ran away from home. The father began a a long journey in search of the lost and rebellious son. He finally got to a point where he decided to put an ad in the Madrid newspaper as a last-ditch effort resort. And his son's name was Paco, which was a very common name in Spain. And he put in an ad, and the ad simply read, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. As Hemingway writes the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness. There are countless Pacos in the world that long to be forgiven, that long to be given a second chance. And I'm getting kind of emotional this morning because we've all been prodigal sons and daughters. We've all moved away, drifted in our past, and we hold on to the past. Like we, we kind of enshrine our past. We, 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 uh, we, we look at our past mistakes and it's hard to let it go, but God says, oh, just give it to me. I'll, just, I'll take the spiritual eraser of grace and mercy and I'll wash it clean. I'll wipe it off the chalkboard of your life. I'll clean the dirtiness of your heart. I'll give you a new heart and, and a new beginning in me. It's one, thing to, it's one thing to experience relational forgiveness with other people. It's another thing to experience the forgiveness given to you by God. There's nothing better than knowing based on the promises of God's word that you stand forgiven. You stand washed. You stand changed because of Jesus' love and mercy for you. Psalm 51, three and six David goes on in his psalm. He says, for I know, so he's fully aware. He's fully aware. I know. I know my transgressions. Don't we all know our transgressions? We we all, I mean, right? Those are not secret. Those are laid bare. Always in the front 
front roof, always in the rearview mirror, always there, always present. We see it, right? Cannot hide from them. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and, and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So we fall into sin. God's always good. He's always perfect in his judgment and his wrath. Consequences, he just is. This is a good example. David is, is owning. He's, he's owning. Okay, I got it. Okay, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Here's point number two. Accept responsibility for your sin. So the first thing David does is he cries out for God's mercy. He cries out for God's grace. He, he appeals to the hesed of God. But then it moves to responsibility. I want you to notice the emphasis in these four verses the emphasis on me, my, and I. If you just go through it and circle all the I's, all the me's, all, all the my's, there's a lot of them. David owns up to his sin. He says, it's my transgression. It's my iniquity. It's my sin. David realizes that he blew it. He takes responsibility for his actions. He doesn't play the victim card. He doesn't make excuses. David sees the seriousness of his sin. What David is experiencing is what we experience when we do fall into a ravine, a ditch of sin. He says, my sin is ever before me. When we sin, is it not ever before you? Is it not ever before me? It's hard to shake that. It's hard to get away from that, even though you knowledge, intellectually, you know God's forgiven you, but in your heart, your heart is, is sensitive to the fact that you, you sinned against God and, and, there, and the consequences are playing out in your life. And you can't change that. He says, my sin is ever before me. He can't get sin out of his mind. It's like a, like a video that just keeps playing, never stops, never stops playing. He says, against you, you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? Ultimately, David sinned and he rebelled against God. Ultimately, at the end of the day, when we sin, it is ultimately against God. But that doesn't negate the fact or diminish the reality that when we sin, oftentimes our sin is against other people. Very rarely... Are you going to sin and not sin against someone else? David sinned against Bathsheba. David knew that. I think David's given us some good theology that, that ultimately sin is a transgression against God. Ultimately, when you break down the, 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 the word transgression or sin, sin is missing the bullseye. So the bullseye is God's standard of, of goodness, perfection, holiness, righteousness. When you pull that arrow back, that action back, and that arrow doesn't hit the bullseye, you sin. The standard is God's holiness. David realizes, yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he sinned against Uriah. Yes, he sinned against a lot of people, but he ultimately rebelled and sinned against God. Because God is holy. God expects more from David. Sin is an attack on God. David goes on. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. David's talking about inborn corruption. You know, it's funny these days, you know, our culture, they, our culture, they, they don't want to talk about sin. People don't want to admit that they're a sinner. Right, That they are depraved, that they are lost, they are far away from God. They need to be reconciled to God, drawn to God, forgiven by God, made right with God. Right? No one wants to admit guilt or, or that, they've, you know, that they've sinned. But David says there's this inborn corruption. He's saying that there was never a moment in his existence when he was not a sinner. Now, oh man, I don't want to... This is not in my notes, but I'm going to chase it. Here we go. Can I chase it? I can chase it? Okay. This is like a whole nother sermon. But let me say this. Some of you might be thinking, oh, like, okay, in, in, inborn corruption. So, okay, not a blank slate. 
wicked baby, wicked baby, right? So that's kind of a joke. It's a joke, okay? When babies are born, they're not cuddly and gentle and sweet and all. They No, wicked baby. They're wicked, straight up. They're wicked. You don't have to teach a kid to lie, to cheat, to be selfish. They just do it. Inborn corruption. Now, just because there's inborn corruption and Adam is the head, the representative, like he took, he took the fall. Therefore, because he fell, we, we have fallen, right? Inborn corruption, DNA, stained by sin, depraved, broken, sinners, in need of grace and forgiveness. But when it comes to children dying at a young age, Jesus made a payment for those sins. The Bible is chocked full of so many references about children not knowing the difference between their right hand and their left hand. It talks about, um, you know, responsibility and accountability. Like nowhere in the Bible does it, you know, does it, um, um, there's a certain phrase that we want to kind of throw around, right? Age of accountability. We don't really know, right? But I do believe that children who died at a young age are with the Lord. I believe that his sacrifice has paid for their sins. And so David is, is making a strong point that, listen, inborn corruption, born with a sinful nature, born, um, born a, as a sinner. And, and he realizes that his nature is warped and stained with sin. Now, what was David's response when he was confronted over his sin? You know what David did? He ran to the house of God. He ran and he worshiped. You see, when you sin, you have two options. You can either run to God and, and appeal to his chesed, appeal to his mercy, appeal to his love, or you can run away from God. But we don't do that in life. Like, um, hey guys, you know, when, uh, when, uh, when you're not feeling too well, what do you do? If you're married, you run to your wife. I, I, I need help. I need pain medicine, right? Right? Right, guys? Come on, right? Ladies, right? Right? Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, if, you got, if you break something, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the doctor. If you get a toothache, oh, man, it's painful, right? You're going to the dentist. You're not running away from the doctor or running away from the dentist. No, you're running to the only person that can help you. But sometimes in our lives, we sin. We want to run away from God. Our help, our refuge, our, our shelter, our hope, the one who can restore us and, and make us whole again. Psalm 51, 10 to 13, David goes on and he says, Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit then. Notice that. I want you to circle the word Then. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Here's point number three. Ask God to change you. So number one, cry out for God's mercy. Number two, take responsibility for your sin. This is what David's doing. And then number three, ask God to change you. Now, here's what's amazing about what David is saying. David is pleading for renewal. But David wants more than just forgiveness. See, I think we stop there. I think we fall into sin, we, we, we plead for forgiveness, right? David wants more than forgiveness. He's, he's going, he's moving beyond forgiveness. He wants to be changed. He wants to be transformed. He wants to be renewed. That is a, a genuine heart of repentance. I wanna change my ways, my actions. Verse one, how do we know that he's pleading for renewal? In verse one, he says, blot out. In verse two, he says, wash and cleanse me. In verse seven, he says, purify me. In verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God is the only one who can remove our guilt and, and our shame and forgive us of our sins. You know, I want you to think of your life as a chalkboard and all your sins are listed and God takes that eraser and he wipes all your sins away. The, the consequences of sin are heavy. Dirty heart, feelings of guilt, loss of intimacy with God, loss of joy. But then notice what David says. 
So he's asking God for renewal. And, and, then, and then he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David says, if you change me, if you bring this renewal, this, this, this transformative grace into my life, then, what's he talking about? He's talking about being an effective witness. He's talking about being the man that God wants him to be in all areas of his life. Then he will teach sinners God's ways. And he says, and then sinners will return to you. So David says, listen, God, you bring this renewal into my life, and, 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 and I have a changed heart, a changed life. You can use me in the lives of other people. See, here's the deal. God never wastes pain. He never wastes sorrow. He never wastes your sin. God can take all the junk in your life, and, and he could use it to advance his kingdom, to put a spotlight on his glory. I mean, God can use what you've gone through to then impact other people. He says, sinners will return to you. It's effective evangelism. God can use you in spite of your past failures. God can use your past failures to reach people for him. Not to, not to glory in your past sin, you know, not to put that on, on a spotlight for the world to see, but to say, you know what? I was broken, I was away from God. Own it, take responsibility. But then say, God, use it for your glory. Use it so that people will come to know you and follow you. You know, David is not content until his broken life impacts others. Psalm 51, verse 14, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. David is confessing the sin of murder. He remembers Uriah. Bathsheba's husband, deliver me from blood guiltiness. There was probably some times when David laid awake all night imagining how Uriah probably died in battle. Images flashing through his mind of Uriah's death. When we come to God broken with a heart of confession, we need to be specific about our sins. David is raw. He's real. He's specific. He's not general. He, he, he owns it. He says, God, deliver me from blood guiltiness. That's exactly what happened with Uriah. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word um, confess is homologeo in the Greek. Confess means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. What does it mean? To agree with God about our sin. To see our sin the way God sees it. And to own it. And to speak to it. The word forgive is the idea of, of, of canceling a debt. So God's word is telling us when it comes to sin, see it the way God sees it, and then ask God to cancel the debt. If someone came into your life and they canceled all of your debt, whether it's car debt, mortgage debt, would you not be pumped out of your ever-loving mind? Okay, I guess nobody would be. I would be pumped! Someone canceled all my debt? Are you serious? My mortgage is gone! God has canceled something bigger than that! He's canceled your debt of sin. It's gone, forever gone, nailed to the cross. Forever nailed, forever gone, forever removed. Your sin has been canceled. God has canceled the biggest debt in our lives, it is not a monetary debt, it is a spiritual debt, and it's a debt that only Jesus could pay. You could not pay that debt. We owe God the debt, but God paid it. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. Jamie Cardinal Sin liked to tell the story of a woman who attended his weekly audience to inform him she had a message from God. He brushed her off several times, but she kept coming back. And, and finally he said, you know, we Catholics have strict rules governing visions and messages from God. I, I need to test your authenticity. I, I want you to go back and ask God about a particular sin I recently confessed in private. If you ask God and he tells you the answer, I'll know your vision is genuine. The next week she returned and he quizzed her a bit nervously. 
Well, did you ask God about my sin? She said, I did. And did God answer? Yes. And what did he say? God said that he couldn't remember. Amen. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We know this. We know that the earth is racing through the solar system at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour. 67,000 miles per hour. Did you know that there are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy? 100 billion. Our Milky Way galaxy is so big that it would take Earth 200 million years to go around it. I said that correctly. 200 million years. The Hubble telescope tells us there may be 2 trillion galaxies Total estimated stars in all 2 trillion galaxies, 200 sextillion. That's 2 followed by 23 zeros. There are more stars in the visible universe than grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth. So feel free to name a star after you, your name. Because there's a whole lot of stars out there, right? Go ahead and do it. You're not going to be taking someone else's star. But what does God say? God says, as far as the east is from the west, he remembers our sin no more. He remembers your sin no more. He remembers my sin no more. My past sin, my future sin, gone, forgiven. Psalm 51, got to wrap it up here. Here we go. Oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God. You will not despise. David was so broken. David was broken over his sin. You know, God wants your heart. God wants you to be broken of your sin. Sin breaks fellowship with God. So we need to confess our sins so that our, our fellowship with God is restored. Now listen, when you sin, you, you don't lose your standing with God. You're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Amen for that. I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a permanent righteousness. That is a forever righteousness. God sees you through Jesus' righteousness. His moral record applied to you. That's beautiful. But sin breaks intimacy with God. God said that David was a man after his own heart. I've always wondered how God could say such a thing about a man who committed adultery and murder. I mean, doesn't it seem like a massive contradiction? First, first Kings 15, 4 to 5. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and, and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Except, except. You know, we judge people based on their exceptions the sins that they've committed. But God evaluates people based on their whole entire life because he's a God of a second chance. And it's never too late to come back to God. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've done. God can forgive you. He can wash you. He can make you clean again. Because he's a God who has hesed. Steadfast love, unwavering mercy, unconditional love and grace. And he can apply it to your life today. If you come to him in brokenness and, and just being raw, God can forgive you. Let's pray. Father God, we, Lord, we thank you for this story. This very real story about David's life and and the brokenness and the sin that, that he gave into that 
God wrecked his life in so many ways. But yet the beauty of this story is that David came back to you. And David got things right. And he cleaned up his life. After being confronted, it was accountability. He listened. He repented. He got right. He got right with you, Lord. And you tell us in your word that you washed him. You cleansed him. You blotted out all his transgressions. You made him whole again. And God, he walked with you. And he served you. And, and, and he accomplished the, the, the purpose. The purpose that you've, you placed on his life during his generation. God, help us to be like David. When we fall into sin, that we just run to you, God. As a little child runs to mom and dad. And they're just opening up their arms that we would, we would feel your embrace, that we would cling to your love and your forgiveness. God, I pray that you would do a work in someone's life this morning. Maybe someone is so far away from you. They've drifted so hard. God, give them the reassurance and the confidence today knowing that if they turn to you, in a prayer of confession, getting right with you, you will turn to them immediately to restore, to pick up, to use again. God, may you do that in someone's life today. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for canceling the record of debt in all of our lives. God, may that propel, motivate, inspire us to lay it all down, to surrender it all, to follow you. God, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name and in God's people said, amen.